0: in his farewell address to the nation, uh, just before he left office, our first president, George Washington, included this sentence in his farewell address. He said, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. At the time, the word religion, which can sometimes have a bit of a negative connotation today, was just sort of a general term for uh, faith in God. He says, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. And as he was leaving office, Washington hoped that the American people would never forget that a civil society and a moral compass for a people and their government couldn't simply be enacted through the passing of a law, but that it must be fostered through, though he didn't call it this, a relationship with God. We know that truth here today as Easter people, as resurrected victory over sin kinds of believers. We know that truth, but we also know that we live in a world that does not count that as true or care that that is true. There was a survey a little over 10 years ago uh, conducted by a nonpartisan agency called Public Agenda that found that 58% of all Americans say that it is not necessary to believe in God to be moral or to have good values. So whether you've You care in this room to believe this or not. The train, frankly, has long left the station on this one. We live in a post-Christian world. We live in a post-Christian world in which people, they want to have this sort of spiritual dimension in their lives, but they don't want to be tied down to a particular belief system or a certain kind of doctrine or a distinctively Christian kind of theology or belief. So what that means is, if you see the scope of what this gathering here today is, that means that this gathering is for, even in Greenville, Tennessee, this gathering, compared even to those who are not with us today, is audacious. To believe that we come to worship a God who was dead and buried and raised again. In... In contradistinction to most of our world and culture around us, this gathering is an audacious idea. It is perceived as a fantasy and a made-up myth. And frankly, they're right about that. If resurrection didn't happen, the doubters are right so on this Easter, 2013, 2,000 years after the first Easter, we are upholding in our worship today, upholding the reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from a Jerusalem grave 2,000 years ago. In fact, our gathering today proclaims the truth that it is only the resurrection of Christ that will give us or any nation for that matter, a foundation for a moral compass, for a spiritual bearing, and even for rationality of thought. Friends, the truth of a resurrected Christ is the only hope uh, that anyone has. A resurrected empty tomb is the only hope anyone has. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm sorry, i Half lied to you. We're not going to start in Matthew. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. It's a great passage here. In this passage, resurrection provides a basis on which the validity of the Christian faith can be tested. And Paul states it as if it is our only hope. Uh, In these verses here in 1 Corinthians 12, I'm sorry, 15, 12 through 19, Paul is refuting some of the Corinthian believers who denied that believers would be raised from the dead. He says this, verses 12 through 19. 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, proclaiming Christ as raised is the basis on which believers are raised. Then he says this, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In simple terms, Paul is saying here that it all hinges on the resurrection. Your entire faith's validity hinges on an empty tomb more than anything else. If there is no resurrection, then who cares about anything? Eat, drink, be merry, and play golf. The significance of the resurrection is hard to overstate for the believer. And we've included some of this in your study notes. I've got a lot of cool stuff in here for you to look through later on this week. We're not going to go through it all today, but I want you to see some of the significance of the resurrection as it relates to the New Testament as 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 a foundation for the believer's faith. There are over 300, in fact, verses in the New Testament that mention resurrection. But here's a sampling of the significance of it here on your study notes. It says it's a sign for unbelievers and the answer for the believer's doubt. It serves as the guarantee that Jesus' teachings are true and is the center of the gospel itself. It is an impetus for evangelism. It's a motivation for evangelism. It's a key indication of the believer's daily power to live the Christian life. This is some of the focus we're going to place on the passage today, is how the resurrection can be a daily power for us to live resurrected lives. It's a key indication of the believer's daily power to live the Christian life and the reason for the total commitment of our lives. It addresses the fear of death. We'll mention that a little bit, too. Uh, It is related to the second coming of Jesus. We'll talk about hope as well. It is a model of the Christian's resurrection from the dead and a foretaste of heaven for the believer. So there's a lot of cool stuff about resurrection itself in the New Testament as foundational for the believers. What we're talking about here and what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 is simply this, and this is sort of the big idea that frames our thought for Matthew 28 today. It is Easter that gives us our distinctively Christian outlook on life. It is Easter that gives us our distinctively Christian outlook for our lives. Easter is not just like this Hallmark card chocolate and bunnies kind of holiday where nice Food and platitudes are enjoyed, though I'm looking forward to my mom's cooking today, uh, and I'm also looking forward to pilfering off my kids' chocolate as well. <laughs> I sort of wondered at what point does pilfering one's kids' chocolate become sin? What resurrection is for us is the way we live. It is an outlook and a way of thinking and a way of living for us that is a victory over sin that, frankly, few believers seem to experience this side of heaven. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, Easter is the truth that turns a church from a museum into a ministry. Easter is the truth that turns a church from a museum into a ministry. We're called to be Easter people. Is your life yet a ministry? Or is it a museum? Maybe not of your own past, but of someone else's. The truth we're looking at here is that if we are people of resurrection, if we are Easter people, then Easter is more than platitudes on cards. It's an outlook on life. It's a way of living. It's a way of thinking and behaving. It is the truth out of which we behave as people who enjoy victory over sin that we didn't achieve, but that Christ achieved for us. So let's look at how this works in Matthew 28 with the first, uh, the first couple women who, who found him. Read along with me in Matthew 28 as we see the impact that Easter had on these women as they made their way to the tomb. It says this, verses one through eight. Now after the Sabbath, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. I added verse 9 there because it's a cool verse. Jump back to verse 1. It says this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. And by the way, this is why we are Sunday worshippers. Because we are Easter people. We're Sunday worshippers because we are Easter people who believe in Christ's sacrifice for us and not Old Testament sacrifices that didn't get the job done and were never intended to get the job done, but to point us to the one who would get the job done. Important distinction between Old Testament sacrifices and Jesus as the sacrifice. So it was early Sunday morning and the women had to wait until sundown from the Sabbath, sundown on Saturday, uh, in order to purchase the spices. And it says this, Mary Magdalene, And the other Mary went to see the tomb. And it says, behold, so there were two women. There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. As we know from the other accounts of the gospel, um, from Luke, I believe, is the one that has two angels uh, there. Here in Matthew, as because suits his purpose, he tells us of only one angel. Uh, the ESV study Bible has a cool note here about the earthquake. It says this. The earthquake either occurred simultaneously with the appearance of the angel, or it was the means the angel used to roll away the stone. His appearance, verse 3, was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow in reference to the angel. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men, which is an appropriate response, with earthquake and clothing white as snow, angel appearing from heaven. Uh, the verbiage here, in fact, where it says, became like dead men, uh, doesn't mean they just were startled. It means that they probably passed out, which, uh, as we've said, is an appropriate response. So verse 5, this is where we're going to begin to to cull out some truth from these Uh, verses in the next few verses here it says but the angel said to the women do not be afraid do not be afraid key phrase here good advice from an angel good advice from an angel for both the women and for us do not be afraid for i know that you seek jesus who was crucified he is not here for he has risen as he said come see the place where he lay and then it says then Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. An Easter outlook for us involves four truths that these women in this passage learned. The first is this. Two words. Hard to live. Steady nerves. Steady nerves. The first couple blanks there in your study notes under Matthew 28, one to8. number one there, steady nerves from verse five. It says, "Do not be afraid. The angel talking to the women." Friends, so many of us, myself included in this, are not just affected by, but dominated by fear and worry. And anxiety. Many of us in our lives don't experience Easter outlook as we live from a place of fear and worry and anxiety. According to recent statistics, anxiety disorders are at the number one mental health problem in the United States. There's one study that showed that developing an anxiety order. The odds of that have doubled in the past four decades. These women here, of course, were certainly nervous and afraid. But the first syllables, the first ringing of the Easter message was, Do not be afraid. Because of empty tomb, we can enjoy steady nerves. Because of of resurrection, in a sense, you don't have to worry. Because Jesus raising from the dead is God's way of saying, I got this. How many of us, (laughs) do I even need to ask the question, have personally experienced resurrection from the dead that came from your power? Resurrection is God's way of saying, I got this, you don't have to worry about it. Because in fact, he has taken care of our greatest fear. Which frankly is, no one can possibly atone for what I feel. That's the fear out of which many of us live Which, in its own sense, is faithlessness in the empty tomb. We're called to be Easter people, living out of the strength of victory over sin, out of an empty tomb with witnesses. There's a theologian who says this The Easter message tells us that our enemies, sin, the curse, and death, are beaten. Like, done for. Ultimately, they can no longer start mischief. They still behave, our enemies of sin, the curse, and death, they still behave as though the game were not decided, as if the battle were still to fight. He says, we must still reckon with them, but fundamentally, we must cease to fear them anymore. Friends, how many of us are acting like the game still hasn't been decided? The empty tune is a reminder of victory. The second thing we see here is in verses 5 and 6. It says, For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. The second thing that Easter teaches us about having an outlook from an empty tomb is that we are called to have awestruck minds. Awestruck minds. A-W-E-S-T-R-U-K U C K minds. <laughs> awestruck minds. It says, For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. The angel speaking to the women it says, He's not here, for he's risen. Come see the place where he lay. So just imagine the scene. These women are absolutely in awe, full of wonder and amazement, and this angel appears through an earthquake, and tells you of all things to, to relax, and, uh, and then says, I know who you're looking for, he's gone because he's out there walking somewhere, because he's alive, and of course, any one of us in this same scene would be amazed, in awe and in wonder, there's a famous evangelist who said, I've never lost the wonder He'd studied the Scriptures for decade after decade after decade and knew it like the back of his hand and toward the end of his life said, I have never lost the wonder. Friends, please do not let this season of empty tomb and resurrection go by without renewing your discovery of the wonder. The third thing we see in verse 7 here is open mouths. One of their responses was an open mouth. It says this in verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And they did. Immediately they went. Quickly they went. They didn't sit there and decide, Well, um, if we are going to uh, do that, and then we're going to have to make sure of this first and, and this. And I wasn't sure intellectually about the validity of the empty tomb because perhaps this happened. <laughs> they just went quickly. A message that is this great demands to be shared. If any one of us were to win a million dollars or to be honored in a special way, we would want to share the news with our closest friends, uh, perhaps text someone, uh, call them, post it on Facebook. Uh, notice here how brief the turnaround time was between hearing and telling. These women went immediately to go share their news. Uh, there was not a hesitation about it. They knew what they'd seen, and they had to tell somebody. <clears throat> Simply put for us, do you open your mouth about what you've seen and heard? Is the life transformation you've experienced and that you've watched in other people, does that translate into open proclamation of the good news of the empty tomb? Do you, do you speak from Easter outlook? The last thing we see in verse 7 again, is high hopes. It says this in verse 7. Indeed, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. They had hopes of seeing Him again for themselves. One of the greatest things about the resurrection of Christ is the certainty it gives us of seeing our Lord Again if he was still in that tomb, if he had not been raised, if he did not demonstrate victory over death and sin, we would have no hope to see him again face to face. But he has told us, Acts 1, that he will be there for us to see again. The empty tomb is not even the end. The end is seeing Jesus face to face. So because of these kinds of things that we've looked at today and the empty tomb, today is a day for joy. It's a day about total life change. It's about a different thinking model, a different kind of perspective on life. It's about an outlook on life that carries us forward because of victory over sin. Because our living Christ because of a resurrected Christ we are able to face life moving forward with confidence of Jesus condemning sin and demonstrating his own victory over its power by being raised to do in life so like christians over the centuries i greet you he is risen he is indeed. Let's pray.